Hey, welcome to Balancing Dads, the podcast about fathers' work-life balance between their family and job. I'm your host, Mike McQuaid, a software engineer and daddy of two. This time, we're going to be speaking to Paul Campbell, a CEO, founder, conference organizer, and father of two. Paul, do you want to tell us what you do for a living? To a, a lay person, how would you describe who you are and what you do? Hello there. I am Paul Campbell. I am the co-founder and CEO of Tito. Tito is a web application for selling tickets online and event organizers, particularly conference organizers, can use our software to sell tickets stress-free to their attendees. As the CEO, I run the company, but I'm also very technical, so I write a lot of the code and try to manage things to the best of my ability. We are mostly self-funded and independent and we're choosing our own way in the world, and we're aiming to be sustainable and profitable and to build a company that we are proud of. Awesome. And whereabouts in the world are you based? I I detect you are not with a Scottish accent or an American one. No, I am in Dublin, Ireland, uh, born and bred, and we have our office here right in the city centre, and it's a great place to be. I love Ireland, I love Dublin, and uh, I was away for a couple of years, and it's great to be back. So what's your your family setup? You you mentioned you're married, your your wife, and you've got how many kids? Yeah, we we have two kids. So I'm married to my wife Kira, and we have two kids, Lewin, he's the eldest, and uh, Cole, um, he's a new baby. So Lewin is three and a bit, and Cole is coming up on three months. So there's uh, nearly three years between them. Well, more than three years between them. So what's your what's your schedule look like? What's an, an average weekday with, you know, from getting up, going to bed, going to work with you and the family? Sure. Yeah, I've been giving this a bit of thought lately because it just feels like I'm stuck in a treadmill, even though it's a good one and it's self-imposed and it's definitely not heavy or over heavy on work. So the since Lewin was born, my rule was always to try and give him at least part of the day of my full attention. Um, it's been slacking a little bit lately because I've been looking after Cole in the mornings, but the plan would be to, when Lewin gets up or when, when I'm up, we go downstairs, no phones, nothing, no tech, no screens, no TV, um, and just make breakfast together and eat breakfast together. And then we have a play before we do anything else. So we try to do that. He's been doing that with his mommy the last couple of days and Cole has been lying on me, but more or less every morning for the last three years, that has, that has been what happened. Like, uh, down at breakfast, play for a while. Then on the weekday, um, he will go off to childcare. When we were in the UK, that was with granny or we had a nanny twice a week. And um, and I will go and start working. And that usually pans out around 9.30 or so. Um, three times a week, I go to the gym at that 9.30 till about 10.30, 11. And then I'll start work after that. So um, work until, at the moment, it's about four in the UK. It was until five 5.30, which would be dinner time. Um, here, it's I usually pick him up at school about 4.30, um, which we initially thought was maybe a bit late, but he really likes staying in school because around 4 o'clock they get to go out into the playground and just run around for 30 minutes. So usually when we pick him up, he's just outside running around, having having a good time. So pick him up before 30 and then a bit of, bit of play again then before dinner. Dinner time, 5.30, he eats. We sometimes join him. We don't always. We like to more, more often than we do, but we don't. Then into the kind of the bedtime sequence commencing around six or so. And sometimes dinner's late, so it runs in, and he never likes that because it feels like it's, it's everything's squished together. But usually we do a bit of play before bath time. Um, 
he loves Transformers and he loves Duplo. So usually combine Duplo and maybe Transformers and maybe like little mini cars. So typical boy. And then we head, uh, head upstairs. He's usually quite difficult to get up into the bath, but once he's in the bath, he doesn't want to get out of the bath. Or a shower. He's, he's, he's recently taken to the shower. That brings us up to usually 6.30, 6.45. And then bedtime, into bed, get our jammies on. Then um, <laughs> some stories. Stories are really important to me. And he's always had stories. So he usually gets a couple of stories. And then we go and do our nighttime wee-wee. And then do one or two stories after that. But typically it becomes three or four. And then... Uh, the idea is that we just close the door and say goodnight, but since we moved back to Ireland, Kira has been very hands-on and just kind of settling him before sleepy time. And then he's been pretty good, I have to say, about once he's asleep, he's asleep, and that is usually somewhere between 7.30 and 8.30. Hopefully the earlier, but often the later. And then downstairs, either have a decent dinner or have a pot noodle or a bowl of cereal. <laughs> <laughs> and then depending on how much... Go ahead. Pot noodle, I guess, is that that the tr- more traditional startup founder meal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, although these are kind of slightly more high-end pot noodles. They're called. Oh, naked, okay. They're called naked oh. noodles. <laughs> Fancy. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we usually watch something. So, um, the, depending on the day, l- lately, because there's a number two has arrived, I will maybe maybe um, look after Cole while Kira does. Bedtime and stories, and if given that time, I've been watching Star Trek. So that's like I've turned into a proper, proper dad. And even uh, even at Star Trek: The Next Generation, so I'm literally a dad of my own upbringing. This is what dads probably would have been watching in 1990, 1991. Um, but I've been greatly enjoying that. Star Trek is amazing. It's all the progressive values that we wish the world had turned into now existed in Star Trek 30 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and then um, yeah we, again we're watching we just we'll watch an episode of something lately we've been watching Sopranos again going back to the old 90s box sets but um, we've just started watching Barry which is pretty cool as well so we'll watch something and then it's bedtime and then we go to bed and wake up tired and play it all out again sounds great yeah so I, it sounds like you you have a pretty similar sort of schedule to to what we do um, and I, I guess the most notable thing maybe to some listeners would be the your working hours are perhaps very surprisingly reasonable for a a co-founder of a a tech company now how much of that is intentional how much of that was before you were a parent and how much of that is the company being in the stage it's in yeah good question so I used to work a lot more. I don't necessarily know if I actually got a whole lot more done. Um, I get this. I, I have a real strong sense of not doing very much, but then I'll, like, I'll review my week. I was reviewing my week last week where I felt like I didn't get much done um, with my co-founder yesterday. And I was like, I was really busy last week. And I, I managed to keep it within those hours. But yeah, keeping it within the hours is, is really important to me. And being very family first was always very important. And part of that is... or. Part of that is the reason why I chose to to do my own company and to to set my own agenda, as it were, because it was really important for me to spend time with before the kids, with my wife, and have lots of time <laughs> with her. And um, and since then, to spend as much time as I can with the kids. Um, I mean, 
I've also learned that you don't necessarily need to spend all your time with your kids and that they don't necessarily want you around all the time. But it's really good to have the time in the morning and then to see them every day and, and like just to go go to school, pick them up. Like all these all these times are really important to me. Um, and yeah, there's there's the old aphorism that work expands to fill time, and that's so true. So it's I think it's really it's become easier for me to to shut work off since having kids because it's like I definitely have to go and pick them up and then they just take over and they want your time and I'm happy to give it. Um, we're also a little bit lucky, I guess, or a bit luckier that the company is a bit more mature. So we do have folks who can can get stuff done. Like when I was the only developer, um, if my work if my work basically if I do work, the company moves forward. If I don't work, we we don't. So in that context, it would have been trickier, but since we have folks to kind of keep things moving when I'm not necessarily well, coding all day, then it allows me to yeah, definitely focus on family and also focus on the biggest bigger picture, which I think is probably beneficial to the company, to be honest. I can relate to some of that. I've, I've not started a, a company myself, but in terms of when you become a parent, your work time is more limited by, I guess, by your values. That If you have decided that you're going to be a certain type of dad, then you're not going to be wanting to work every hour of the day and seemingly you've seemed to squeeze more out of the day and you probably spend less time fiddling around getting trapped in reddit or hacker news or whatever your distraction of choice is because you have that little bit at the back of your head that's aware that like well you know i have stuff i need to get done and once i get that done i you know, I have time and stuff I want to do with my my family. And I, I don't know if you found this, but I found very much as well that even a very difficult toddler throwing a tantrum is so far removed from the, the actual job of software development that it it feels like each is a good break from the other. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. There's a, there's a chasm between it. Like a Building software, you need to be in a completely focused mood where, in theory, I guess, and usually in practice, the machine does what you tell it. <laughs> and you, you input commands. And if, well, now that I'm talking out loud, I'm seeing seeing uh, analogies. You input commands and the machine is supposed to do what you tell it, but it ends up not, <laughs> which is very much the... Toddler, but no, it's a completely it's a completely different game. Toddlers are completely illog- illogical boxes, and it's very difficult to predict. But then, when the, when you do manage to predict something, it, it does make you feel like a boss. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Do you have to the the current stage of the company is in? Do you have to do much either uh, due to your job directly or in kind of promotion and stuff like that? Do you much travel with that at all? Uh, not specifically. I mean, the, the travel that we need or, or must do is by choice. And it's, yeah, we, we could, I could travel, but I've chosen more or less not to. The Lewin is a bit, a little bit tricky. Um, and we're, we, we sort of have a sense that he's, he's a little bit particular about certain things, but he, we find that he's easily disruptable if, if his regime or his, uh, if his routine changes. So since moving back, we've been particularly mindful of trying to keep home routine as stable as possible. So haven't really done a whole lot of travel. 
and I was away for a couple of days and yeah, he was really happy when I got, when I came back. So no, tra- travel is not a huge part of it. I mean, yeah, we're, we're a web-based company and it is my firm belief that anybody can create a web-based company and never travel. Now there is a school of thought that in-person is completely unbeatable for doing sales and expanding your horizons as a business. And I, I think that that is true, but that's not to say that you can run and run a successful business online without ever talking to another human being <laughs> Two extreme points of two extreme positions. But yeah, we don't, nece- I don't necessarily need to travel a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. Cause I, I think there's something to be said for the argument that even if it were the best way of doing business, it's like, you can't give a hundred percent the best everything to your business and a hundred percent the best everything to your child. You know, you, you, there's not enough literal hours in the day and, prioritization to do that so there is always going to need to be some degree of kind of compromise between the two so i i think it's cool that you've tried to do things in such a way that you are avoiding things which are disruptive to your child yeah if i have a flight coming up and or an opportunity to fly i my first thought is always can i bring one or other of the kids both to either bring them so that i'm not part from them but also to like take a bit of load um, away from Kira so she can have maybe a, a more relaxed time if I was away. But so far, the, I've been able to keep the travel to a minimum, which is good. Yeah, that's good. Is that something you found a little bit has changed from having two from when you had one? Like the amount of, I guess, loads you're leaving your your wife with if you go away? Yeah, definitely. So the I've, I've had one trip since Cole was born and my folks took Luan that, that week and her mother was over that week too. So I was able to feel not so much guilt-free because the guilt is always there, but just I was comfortable in the knowledge that Kira had support, both in the fact that Lewin was absent and look, being looked after by my folks and that she had her mother there to support the, the baby while I was away. So I felt like I don't like the idea and I don't think I could possibly leave her with the two kids. It's just uh, that would be a whole other level of stress. I, we, we have fairly similar age kids, both having two, two who are youngish. But when you, when you have two that are toddlers and trying to deal with the situation where they both, the, the one I have in my head is if you're, you know, at the side of a road and they both run off in opposite directions at the same time and you're by yourself, what do you do? So, right. yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a, something like that happened was at my sister who is her daughter's three months younger than Lewin and. She went off to the bathroom maybe by herself and left me with the two toddlers. Or maybe she had the baby and literally what you just described happened. Like I was looking after one and Lewin ran this way and the other kid ran the other day, the other way. And I was like, who do I, who do I go after? Do I go after my own kid at the expense of my sister's daughter? Or do I mind my sister's daughter at the expense of maybe losing my own kid? And it was just like, Yeesh. it wasn't, thankfully it wasn't necessarily a very, like there were no cars or anything around, but Man, I was that was some serious stress. Yeah, so that happens, but I guess you just have to deal with it. I, I used to look at um, like older children, you know, not school age children, but um, kind of older toddlers, older whatever you call them, preschool kids, um, strapped into a, a buggy or a pram. And I, I used to think like, oh, that's such a shame. You know, they're clearly old enough to be walking and stuff like that. And then now that we have two. I'm a little bit more like, ah, I see. So it, it's more about them being strapped and they can't, <laughs> they can't both run away at the same time or move without 
getting unstrapped yeah. like that's that's the feature here that that we need you know if only there was some sort of walking device that had them like no. both, both attached to you <laughs> no there's a there's a better device i think it's called trust <laughs> we were walking to school today and there was a, another couple bringing their kids who were uh, they're i think they're five and three and they're both on scooters and they were letting them scoot way off up the path and i thought that was really really nice but they were they they've obviously got enough faith in their kids they're going to stop at the lights and they're not going to i mean your heart your heart's in your mouth maybe a little bit but uh i think yeah the, i think to a large degree you can trust your kids or you you ought to be able to to trust them but yeah it's difficult i i, I do find that and i don't know if it is uh, coming from the kind of software development world or 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 whatever that I do find it's very difficult to trust my kid. Like, I know that he's going to stop at the road, but I'm never 100% certain. Maybe I'm looking for probability or I'm looking at it through the wrong lens. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I guess that's the, the being a, a modern parent, right, is that you're always worried about the, the edge cases because those are the things that you've read about happening. And, you know, and statistically, the, the, the chances are so tiny and you know your own kids and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it's hard, hard to completely remove those things from your mind. But as you say, like, the the parents who are doing a good job, I feel, are the ones who kind of may have their heart in their mouth, but I'll let them do that stuff anyway. What do you do for discipline? Well, so our, our eldest is almost two, and he is pretty much, since he has understood the meaning of the words, he really doesn't like to be told no. So that, at the moment for us, is pretty much sufficient for discipline but the interesting i guess the thing we've seen we have a bunch of friends who do things different ways that we've observed and i feel we're in the kind of middle ground and i kind of quite like it in the so the way it generally goes is if he wants say he wants i don't know a, an ipad or he wants to eat my dinner instead of his dinner or whatever it may be even though they're exactly the same of course <laughs> then we will say no he will generally act as if it's the apocalypse right now. Um, he's, he's, his tantrum is getting really good at the moment. He'll roll around the floor and it's very dramatic. Oh dear. And uh, our, our middle ground is we will comfort him, like pick him up, give him a cuddle, give him something to distract him perhaps um, if he's kind of really inconsolable and we can't do it with just a cuddle or whatever. Um, and then kind of try and get him back to kind of him having whatever he, he, he sure. was not wanting to have like his dinner or whatever the discipline is just if we say no they don't get the thing that we said they couldn't get because then it's mixed messages but they do get comforted they right. do get distracted whatever back to happiness uh, but that's yeah so that's the level of discipline we have at the moment Got how it. about yourself what's, well, what's discipline look like for yeah I don't think we have any any fear of saying no but yeah definitely we get the meltdowns um, Loon's three and three, three, like approaching three and a half. And so, yeah, he's, I guess he's a little bit more mature. But he does definitely melt down. He's taken to screaming a lot recently. But we basically have a few things that are immediately uh, reprimanded. But <laughs> I'll talk about what, what I do. Because I think it's, I think I like it. I don't, I, and maybe, maybe there is some psychology that says it's the most, the worst thing possible. But so basically, if he, if he shouts and keeps shouting, or if he throws, or if he spits, or bites, or maybe one or two, or if he just basically doesn't listen and keeps repeating not listen, I pick him up, 
No, he's very heavy. He's over 20 kilos. So <laughs> that's why the gym is important. So I pick him up, but I that's kind of like that's the the extreme of like the physical reprimanding is that he knows that he can be he can be plucked up. And I go into our uh, our front room and I sit him on my knee and I say we're going to have a long chat. And he screams and screams and screams and then he settles down. And then I say now we're going to just think about what we did. Why are we here? We, we call it the corner, but it's not really the corner because I I had seen folks kind of say, go and stand in the corner, but I didn't really like the whole standing in the corner because it's like off by themselves. And they, I think it's important to talk these things through. So we just kind of sit in silence for a while and I say, are you, are you ready to talk about it? No. And then we wait, okay, <laughs> think about it for a while. Are you ready to talk about it? No. Are you ready to be talking about it? Okay. And then why are we in the corner? Because I spat or whatever he did because i didn't listen and i've just found it really nice because he hates it he absolutely hates it but what it is is sitting on daddy's lap basically as you were saying there in a in a cuddle <laughs> just focusing on what we did and what i then try to do is like talk about not what it did and why it was bad but how it made us feel or how it would make anyone feel so if he hit me or bit me I, we would talk about um how do you think that made feel how what would if somebody bit you how would you feel i don't know well just think about it and we just talk it through and then we say let's hug and forget about it and he loves that bit of course and those are the biggest hugs i always get from him <laughs> That's so nice. yeah so i don't know um um i'd love to hear about how i'm damaging him for life but i think it's nice <laughs> i think it's nice it's like completely and utterly just like it's, it's actually quite mature in my opinion and he seems to respond really well and as soon as then he goes back he's completely calmed down he'll usually go and say sorry and resume whatever it was he was doing and it's, it's not like it's not like a complete like he won't necessarily do exactly what he 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 was saying but he'll do it without shouting or biting or whatever and uh and that's what i that's what i do that's nice. Do it for the hugs. That seems like a good good enough reason to me. I guess some kind of travel stuff that we as a family have done, thanks to you, is uh, this conference at Ool. So could you tell us a little bit about that and how that has maybe changed a little bit since you've had a family? Sure. Yeah. So Ool was a conference I started in 2012. And I wanted to do a conference for Apple folk or folk who loved Apple. Primarily because I had met a few folks who were really good for that audience, and I wanted to I wanted to just do something. And it, knowing those folks may kind of help me seed a decent, some decent speakers. Um, so the the concept for Ool was that we would design a conference with or inspired by the way that Apple do things. So we tried to get the design really nice. We tried to make sure that the badges were super well designed and the, the, the structure that we kind of thought everything through and we wanted people to come and say, whoa, the details of this conference. And so we did uh, we did two years and the two years were quite similar, but the second year kind of felt like an upgrade for the first. And what we realized was that that was sort of like, hey, this is sort of like the iPhone. We, you do one release and then you, you do an S version the following year. So we decided to change the format every two years. So on the third year, we the first two years were in Dublin and they were just straight up standard conference. Um, this, this, the third and fourth years were in different hotels or two different hotels in Ireland, one in Kilkenny and one in Killarney. And what we did was make sure everybody stayed at the same hotel so that it kind of felt a bit more like a family. And it was during those two that we introduced the idea of people bringing their kids and 
um, doing kids activities during the conference because we wanted to encourage, well, we were, we were going to places that people would bring their kids anyway. And we wanted to put on, um, places where kids could come. So in that first year we did, we invited, um, someone who was doing kids programming workshops. And then the second year we were doing kind of Lego mind storms and things like that. And it was just something that really went down so well. Parents loved it. We got such great feedback. And so we just kind of built that into into part of the conference and became known, I guess, as a little bit family friendly. And then the the, the fifth and sixth iterations were, and possibly the seventh, were, were slightly different again, but we just kept that going. But then for the most recent iteration, we decided to kind of downscale the conference and kind of upgrade the accommodation. So we, basically, I said I was going to sell tickets for a week and that whoever bought tickets could come. And I said, I'm not sharing any details about the conference um, other than that I would design it around the people who came. So as part of that, I think we sold something like 20 regular tickets. Um, And then I guess based on the reputation that we'd built up over the previous years, people were happy to bring significant others. And can you recall, was there 11, 12, 13 kids? Yeah, yeah, it's along that line. Yeah, so we had this. We we ended up having maybe sixty people, which is not insignificant number of people to organize around. And yeah, eleven, twelve of them kids, which was really fantastic. So um, it just meant that when we, well, so what we did with them was we booked a castle on the west coast of Ireland, and that was the mystery tour. So everybody was bussed over to the west coast, and everybody got to stay in the castle, and. Unlike a big hotel, it was really, really intimate. Everyone's like, like, it just felt like a big house. And that was what the idea is. The, the conference was called Chalk Ool, which was supposed to mean Ool House. Um, Chalk, though, is teach. It's the it's the English word teach. So we were able to, to do something that was both intimate, interesting, and also, I think, extremely family friendly, which I guess is not your typical conference. No, I mean, for, for sure, it was not your typical conference. I, I think the, the, the big thing that w- is worth re-emphasizing that you said there, so you essentially ended up having more people attending the conference who were not the primary people, who were significant others and children than the primary people by themselves, uh, which is really, really interesting. And, and I think completely, particularly compared to, I would imagine, any sort of other conference where if you are lucky enough to have a conference with childcare facilities provided you know it's a room with people who can legally look after your children and it's it's the minimum level of it's still you know better than nothing to be sure but it's the minimum level of legal requirement essentially to leave your children somewhere else and i can say as an attendee um we just had my my eldest son at the time and it was you know he he loved being there and and the fact that all the kind of bedrooms were five minutes walk from where all the kind of talks and workshops and stuff were and all the meal times and things were. And then there was kind of on-site kind of babysitting and childcare during the day. It, it just meant that my wife really felt like she could be, you know, part of the conference, go to a bunch of talks and things like that without kind of having to compromise on my son's enjoyment at all. You know, he, he could go and have a nap and she could go and go to a talk and stuff like that. And, and that was all facilitated in an environment that was very suitable and enjoyable for him rather than it being just, yeah, like we have a room at the back and you can go and listen to talks and things like that while he sits in the room. So yeah, I I thought it was um, fantastic and really interesting. It's part of the reason I kind of asked you on here is because I think it's, 
it's something as parents that I think we we don't often have the chance to either do ourselves or maybe be on the receiving end of is rethinking something completely almost from the ground up it felt like from a kind of parenting perspective like with a conference like this for you to kind of be like what would it look like for this to be a good family-friendly conference rather than designing a conference and then being like how can we facilitate children to be able to be Mm. there there are there are a few things you made me think of there and first of all i just want to say credit where it's due um First of all, to Aoife Reaper Reynolds, who was co-organizer of Chuck Uo, and she basically made all the kid stuff happen. Um, I think it's important for, I don't know, Uo is very much my conference and my thing. And so, like, definitely it required my blessing and my, my it, the impetus was on me to make sure what happened, but Aoife made it happen. But the um, before that, I attended uh, NodeConf Adventure, I think in 2009 or 2010, um, organized by Michael Rogers. And that was where I first experienced kids at a conference. And it just struck me um, that people are different when there are kids around. People are so much more disarmed, relaxed, maybe. Kids just humanize events in the way that isn't, present when it's just all grown-ups and i don't know what that is or how that is i mean i guess it makes sense that people are on better behavior because they know that there's kids around but there was just something very human about there being a lot of kids and walk um walker creek ranch is a i think it's like a summer camp destination so there was definitely a real kid-friendly vibe going on at that but uh, definitely kudos to michael for giving me that experience back then but the other thing is that um since having lou and uh, I've discovered, and you do discover, that so much of our society, so much of a society going out, shops, uh, uh, going to cafe, going anywhere, do, going about your day-to-day life, is even if kids are accepted and welcomed, places are not optimized for having kids. And that, to me, is so strange because there are a lot of kids out there. And, yeah, to to, to have a conference and then tack on kids at the end, that's that's fine. But to have a conference where kids are completely integrated and the conference is for kids and for significant others, to me, there's no downside to that because you get all the benefits of going and learning and interacting with your peers, but you also get to bring your family. And surely that's what things are all about. Um, I guess you meet folks who are a little bit cynical and they say they go to conferences to escape or whatever, but like, that's not very nice. (laughs) Yeah, and... I mean, bluntly, I'm kind of thinking with this podcast as a whole, this is the type of podcast, if your attitude is you kind of are trying to escape your family, then this is probably not the podcast for you. Um, It's not, that's not to say, as you, as you mentioned earlier, that's not to say you want to spend every second of every day with your children and and not at work, but there is to say that, you know, I think we, we both recognize that there's something really special when you can get, um, for me, it was the best conference I was ever attended. Um, but when you can get the benefits of a really great conference, but actually have your family there and be able to share it with them and have the feeling that everyone there, you know, you, your significant other, your your kids are all having a good time in their own different way, rather than it being, you know, you just go off by yourself and you maybe have a great time, but then it's it's kind of tougher at home. You know, I, I have to travel a wee bit with work, um, not nearly so much since I've kind of had kids but yeah there is always that sort of bittersweetness of if you're having a nice time knowing that your partner is kind of having a, a tougher time while you're away and it's as a result a conference like oh to me is the 
best of both worlds for sure. Yeah, you're making me want to do it again. <laughs> well, you should. You should. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for telling us about Ool, Paul. Uh, do you have any other kind of parting thoughts on either kind of tips for balancing career and having kids or just tips for parents in general? Yeah. So the, the what I would say is like, I think there's a certain degree of having to be fearless and having to demand the time to spend with kids because I mean, it's total cliche, but like the time just absolutely disappears. And we've looked at kind of our kid, these three growing from a little baby to, to a little chubby fella who runs around. And I don't feel bad about all the time that I gave him like an hour or two hours every morning there for lunch times when we were in the UK every day there before bedtime to play loads of time at the weekend sometimes I would take him out sometimes I would even take him during the day um yeah and it's totally cliche but having done it and having listened to people who fired those cliches on me like use the time take the time um I don't regret it for a second and um personally I don't think that the my work suffered um if anything there's there's issues with sleep and work suffering but um you can always catch up on sleep, but you definitely, yeah, the you don't get another chance. So I, I feel really good about having spent all that time with Loon as he grew, grew up, and I'm, I'm planning to do the same with Cole. Well, I'm sure they'll both very much appreciate it. The, the other thing then in that context was that, yeah, I, I was lucky enough growing up to, to have a dad who was always there for me. Um, and I, I think that probably goes into my attitude that, like he, he was the first one up every morning, making breakfast, making sandwiches, and he would he would bring me to school. He would pick me up from school. He was always at the sports games, watching at the sidelines. So, um, I definitely don't harbor any of the kind of the dramatic father resentment, and I really would like that for my kids. Yep, no, very much agreed, and I think it makes you when you pause to think about this stuff as well i, I think w- there's another potential guest i have who's going to talk about being a, a single dad and it does make you kind of grateful for all the support you do have when you are able to have that support be it your partner or grandparents or whoever it may be well thanks for joining us paul and enjoy the rest of your week and thank you very much for having me mike it's uh, it's good to be here and definitely a topic that i feel very strongly about and um, hopefully people enjoy listening to you can find paul on twitter at paul ca thanks for listening to balancing dads you can find us on twitter at balancing dads and me at mike mcquade have a good week